0: This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's One Two Three Dollar Menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and small fries can be excruciating. Until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries, that must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's One Two Three Dollar Menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four-piece chicken McNuggets, or small fries for just a few bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Lohan from washedupemo.com and today we welcome Adam Faller, drummer for the band Jawbreaker. A documentary was released a few years ago called Don't Break Down. Fun fact, Dan Didier, drummer for The Promise String, Maritime in Vermont, was the producer of the film. After seeing a screening of the film, I was fascinated by how much footage they had of Jawbreaker. I found out later from Dan that Adam was the one that had been saving everything. When I approached Adam to do the podcast a couple years ago, he said that he would need to wait as they were just about to announce the reunion shows. Recently in Brooklyn, Abbott and I finally sat down to talk. We discussed where these archival documentation thoughts started in his life and how his video store that he owned for years was feeding that same itch. We also discuss what it's like being a jawbreaker now and not being as neurotic about taking photos or saving the flyers. In the same light, Adam is fully realizing how important these things are later and the love for his band is how everyone should think about their own band's legacy, big or small. Bonus, we talk about emo, and now Adam didn't hear them being called emo until after they broke up. Finally, a couple rad Nirvana stories about Adam seeing them for the first time and knowing that, that first single was gonna be Smells Like Teen Spirit. Thank you to the Patreon supporters out there. You make this place happen. And if you wanna support, head on over to patreon.com/slash washed up emo. This is episode 151 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Adam Fallin of Jobbreak. always document or archive or save things when you were growing up?
1: I grew up moving a lot. Um, I lived in Hermosa Beach in California for the first six or seven years of my life. And then after that, it was, I was basically moving every two years. Wow. And I've not thought about this. I'm just thinking out loud right now. But maybe it's always been important to me. To know exactly where I was At a certain age In a certain grade um, Just to sort of track Where I've been And my mom has a great Archive of photographs That I grew up um, Kind of leafing through And I mean, there were so many photographs They weren't, in, they weren't chronologically laid out They were just in this giant basket, Mm -hmm. and I remember whenever, you know, the holidays would roll around and my sister would come back from school or whatever, I remember just sort of always going through the stuff and just kind of going, someday we should probably put this in order so we can remember, sort of track where we were in all these different places we didn't we weren't like army brats going state to state. it was just sort of you know we just changed neighborhoods but I, you know I was like I was like trouble so i was I went to a lot of schools and stuff like that, not getting kicked out, but like I moved a lot and yeah. I would switch schools i'd be like, this place isn't for me, this is bullshit I've got to go somewhere else so maybe maybe I've always liked the idea of kind of tracking my you know, the arc of my life and the different places I've lived um, and schools I've been to and friends that I've had. Maybe, maybe that's it. I remember when I was in sixth grade, Chris Stewart, my sixth grade teacher, she was my very favorite teacher. She made us write an autobiography when we were 12 years old. Wow. And I remember really liking that process, even though I'd only lived <laughs> 12 years. I thought it was really cool to sort of write about my life and where I'd been and catalog it and get it down on paper.
0: Because you think now, could you think of even a paragraph to fill in tw- tw- uh, 12 years? Like your mind, you probably had so much in your head. And to document it then, like, like a journal, Right, Like you go somewhere, if I went to Ireland for a month, I have my journal, I, I wrote all this stuff every day, it was a poetry thing, I would have never, I would have remembered a tenth of that. Right. But because you had the photo, you wrote it down, yeah. it's there.
1: Yes. Yeah, and by, you know, I think, like by the time I was 12 years old, I lived in like seven different houses or something, you know, like, so... At the time I thought I had a lot going on I was like, yeah, I've lived a life (laughs) You know Um, And then later on when I started keeping a journal Which was around I really started in earnest keeping a journal um, When the band started becoming active Maybe a couple years before that But maybe it started in When I was at uh, NYU in 86 or something and then through my years at UCLA and the band and working and stuff. And I remember thinking...
0: When you started, what was, what were you thinking? Like, I just want to write this out? I or... just knew
1: that I'd forget what was going on in my life. And if I just wrote a couple of paragraphs and just named the places that I went, maybe it would sort of set off my memory and I could recall. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily had an end goal, but I was an English major, and I loved to write, and I thought maybe I could mine some of my experiences for a book one day or a screenplay or yeah. something. Um, never really had a concrete idea what I was going to do with it, but I remember Henry Rollins saying something that Joe Cole had said to him Um Which I think it was. I think the quote was something like Joe Cole was was um, encouraging Henry to keep a journal and to write everything down, and he said because this is important. And I that really stuck with me, and I started keeping a journal along those sort of like those um, those Rollins journals. Yeah, just where you just where you just go where you say like this is where the band went today. This is how much the, the pr- pr- promoter was cool. The, someone spit on us, you know, the cops hassled us and made us pull out all the the amps from the van and, you know, tossed it for, for drugs,
0: whatever. But it could Just, be five sentences, but it's, you could see it, you could visualize
1: yeah. it. Yeah. So I don't know why it's important for me to do that. I, I've kind of, I've waned. I, my journals, s- Stopped uh, just a few years ago. I'd stopped doing it, and I think maybe the advent of the camera on your phone probably calmed some of that down. Because now, boom, you could take a picture of where you've been, or who you saw, or what you did, and that sort of meant that's kind of your your now you have a photo journal, you have a document. But I guess it, I just inherently. It's important for me to document, and I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it was necessarily taught to me, except for Chris Stewart's class um, and my mom's photo archives. I guess that's where it comes that's from. That's it. That's really cool. Yeah. And then, so you,
0: about the band, where you were doing a journal, but then in the band, where you, you did you have that same feeling of I gotta just document this.
1: I, I just thought I'd get a kick out of it later, you know? And it was as much to do with, like, the little blank books that I bought to fill in. And, you know, I would put ticket stubs in there or funny cartoons or drawings or photographs or just text about what was up. Um, I just thought it would be fun to look back at that someday when I was old. Or something to show my kids, look what I did. This is where I went. And this is the silly ramblings of a young, you know, confused, angry, silly person. But they could relate to it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, I don't know. I say that I didn't have an end goal. But maybe somewhere in the back of my mind I was deluded enough to think, I should hang on to this stuff because one day someone's gonna give a shit besides me and my kids. Isn't that and I interesting? To, and I started to believe it. I started to manifest that. And I thought, and I think that might have been what driven me to work so hard with my you know, my cohorts, with Blake and Chris at what we did. We had no business thinking that we were gonna be taken seriously that anyone would bother wanting to give us money to make a record that they would come to see us play but we really worked hard we really wanted to be a good band we wanted to be great we weren't in it for like money and chicks at all we wanted to be a great band and we worked our fucking asses off and we sucked (laughs) for a while Until we sort of started getting it. Um, And when that started happening, I really did feel, I think something in the back of my mind was like, keep everything. Wow. Take pictures. Write it all down. Video. Video tape But that's I,
0: crazy back then That let everybody know out there You didn't It's like your phone didn't do anything You didn't even have a phone So to have Oh no, I would v-
1: steal I would steal uh, cameras From like Big v- box stores and, But
0: the VHS ones Or the Hi8 ones Or the you know, The
1: Hi8 ones, yeah Those weren't cheap I remember investing in, in, in It wasn't even Hi8 It was called Digital 8 Those are my tapes Oh, right And before that Super 8 Super. I have Super 8 footage that, like, Jeff Martin, a good friend of ours from a long time ago who, who really helped us out a lot in the old days, he was a documentarian like crazy. It's the guy we went to school with. And he was just rolling footage wow. on everything. And he, he had Super 8. He had one of those big-ass VHS cameras that you have to, like, rest on your fucking yeah, yeah. shoulder. He was rolling a lot of that stuff. And there was always like one there was always like one person at the show. That's what I remember. There's always was one rolling. kid that There's had the nice kid. camera mm-hmm. and one kid that had the v- VHS. Yeah, and and when they would send me a, a copy of that in into a box it went and I'm thinking one of these days maybe just for shits and giggles cuz I also kind of minored in film at UCLA, one of these days maybe I'll compile all this shit and just sort of tell this story in some way. So I kept everything. I mean, not compulsively. It wasn't very well organized. It was it just, oh, this tour ended.
0: Here's all the lamp. Here's, here's the all. Shit. Here's the ticket stubs put I got. Into, here's the flyers. Yeah,
1: put it into a box. Here's the posters box. Here's the flyers box. Here's my stack of journals. Here's all the tape, the live board tapes. Here's all of the VHS copies. Everything had a box, sort of
0: and people would probably th- reach out to you and say, "Hey, I taped the show. Yeah. Send it to me, please." I remember tape totally, trading.
1: Totally. Yeah. And so I just took all that stuff and threw it in my basement. Um, wow. and just there it sat for years through moves and, you know. And it finally and it finally did come in handy because that weird thing happened where, you know, the the band got more popular. In the wake of our dismantling it, and and then I get a call from the guys who made the Minutemen movie, Keith and Tim, and they're like, "Let's make a movie." And I was like, "Well, guess what I got? I have a lot of stuff." And they had to sift through. I do not envy <laughs> those two guys or Dan. But they had hours and hours and hours. They had enough for a series. Wow, like seriously if any if, if people gave a shit about this band that much that HBO would want to give us a like a seriously it could have been a a, a 10 part thing because it really catalogues everything from the from the jump wow. from when we were uh, sophomores in 1986, practicing it in Sonic Youths. You know, space in New York and recording with Donnie Fury in the Lower East Side to moving to Los Angeles and playing Al's Bar and, uh, you know, Raji's. Do you think that if you,
0: I think that if you didn't do that. To,
1: you know, to to Gilman and onward.
0: Yeah. I don't think, if you didn't do that, I don't know if this would have happened oh there's a piece of I'm not saying you I yes anything can happen but I I think like there's this just you kept it alive and even if it was in that box it was alive
1: somehow right and it was there yeah I mean I'm a control freak right (laughs) and when we when our band broke up I I got all of our records back from whatever labels that they were on, and I put it on our imprint, Blackball Records, which is what was the imprint that we used for... The reissues, right? For the Whack and Blight EP initially. Oh, right, right. Right. So I took... I found... I got all of our indie stuff back. Um, the LPs, the full LPs, and all the comp tracks and stuff. I got all those tapes back. And kind of curated our catalog and then by extent, like our legacy um, on the black ball label imprint. So in in doing that, because I had all the stuff and I was in charge of remastering the records and reshooting the art, putting all this stuff out and getting back all of our music and putting all of those ducks in a row like, I necessarily became, you know, the the point man. I was the point man for Jawbreaker. And then I got us a, a website, and then I got us a, a Facebook page, and then an Instagram, and a Twitter. Merch. and And, yeah, a merch company to print our stuff and restart reprinting our shirts. So I did all of that stuff while... That that was just my hobby, you know what I mean? I had a job. I, had, I was starting a family. Um but in my downtime, I methodically kind of curated our legacy. I can say that. I'm not going to say I'm responsible for this That's resurgence. That's all you need. But, I mean, what, Things I mean it, was, it was part of it. What really And Chris mentions this, too, sometimes. He says, you know, it was our absence that you know made all of those hearts grow fonder as well. You know what I mean? Our popularity after we broke up has, could have as much to do with us being gone and no one hearing a peep yeah. um, because really we're a cult we're kind of a cult thing we're not um, we're not a huge band I think people I was just talking about this people think that that we were wildly popular and rich and, and you know and we were not we were anything but yeah um. So, it, it, you know, what I've done As kind of, you know In a way I kind of got left holding the bag Because I had all the stuff in my basement And rather than Being the kind of person that could then hand that off To a label or another person I'm not that guy yeah. Like, I gotta do it myself I have to um, And not because... I mean, because I don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone.
0: No one's to, gonna do to, it, but you guys. No
1: one could be to, can speak for me. Yeah. Um, and because we all remain friends, I had those guys. You know, they gave me their consent or whatever, their blessing to just have at it. You know, and um. So with that, being empowered by that, knowing that I had all this stuff. I was like, well, here we go. Here goes nothing. Here comes a book. Someone wants to write a book. Cool. Let's make that happen. These guys want to make a movie. Um, Here's all the stuff I got. (laughs) I just, yeah, I just had, you know, just
0: that guy, I guess. I mean, for an indie band, independent band, that's rare. You know, the. um, Is it? I guess I don't
1: know any better because I don't really have. I thought there was always. Someone said that, you know, it's like a drummer thing because you're not, you know, agonizing writing all the all the music. Yeah. And, you know, no, I mean, it's... You, you're the guy that, you know, is doing that all that other stuff. I don't think anybody does it well.
0: I work with major label artists and I work with independent artists. And when I ask these questions it is never thought about it. I don't know. I might have something It's over there anyway. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not in the, in the moment. And I think artists that are remembered today mm-hmm. are because people did some work and with you put some stuff in a box. Not everything wasn't, but that's not happening because everyone thinks it's on their phone. Right. But unfortunately that's, that's fleeting that your drive could go, your phone could crash. Your these sort of, and it's, it's not curated in that way. Right. It's more. Well, that, so, yeah. But I that, think the, the physical part that yeah. you guys were in, I think having the VHS, having photos, film, I think digital is amazing and I've digitized stuff, everything, but I feel like that's a, a thing people think, Oh, well, I don't need a bunch of, I have a bunch of stuff in a box, but it's more of a, you've got stuff in a drive too. And it's rare. Right. It is rare that a band or an artist gets it.
1: Right. And that's what's going to happen in 30 years. Right. Well, it's funny. I mean, that, but having said that, it's also true that I don't know where people... I mean, I guess it was the original guys that shot this stuff, but a lot of our stuff started popping up on YouTube and I wasn't putting it on there. These other people were that had been sending me these VHS copies. So... Like we broke up in ninety six,
0: six I think yeah,
1: and then like I remember you know when the majority of the people finally got on the internet and were and YouTube happened,
0: they had a chance to talk about it together.
1: Yes, and and the chat and before that it was like the message chat boards, rooms yep. and, the, and the message boards. So so people, you know, we were being whispered in those places too. So that digital world also did con- contributed a lot, I think, to to keeping our thing going. But yeah, as a you know, I'm an analog person, so I like that stuff. It's something comforting to me about that those boxes down there, yeah. And I and I care about them. And um, you know, I'm still someone that I'm someone that still buys vinyl and. It takes up a huge part of my living room, and I have, you know, there's there's two turntables in my house like that. Yeah. Um. But that's funny. Yeah, I didn't. I never really knew. I just figured everyone was was doing it like that, keeping. Their, I just figured that every band had that one member who just was in charge of the shit. I'm like the one that had the the big enough basement or whatever or the wherewithal or the or the heart to hang on to this. this Because I think
0: for how much content you need to push now, you know, within terms of, you know, the how much stuff you have to put out on all these networks to stay relevant, stay in the algorithm. Right. You need to have all this stuff to do that.
1: Sure. I got more than enough. I, yeah.
0: Because there could be a whole plan. I mean, I talk about this with some artists. I go, I could have a plan for you for 20 years. Yeah. And you might think that there's a kid 10 years from now that finds out about Jawbreaker. What happens? Right. Where does he see on the YouTube page? What's right. happening on Instagram? Or the next thing that comes out. I want to make sure that they get the story right story.
1: Right. But, I, you know, I can't say that I, I was... It was important to me... I you know, so personally, I wasn't, hustling, felt I wasn't it. hustling for the band to be relevant. Like I said, we were made relevant. Like I didn't have anything to do with that. No, some I, the some internet. people it just happened. That, that just happened, and I like to think that that's due more in part to like we wrote good songs and we we, you know, we had longer legs maybe than certain bands that maybe people related to our stuff later and then subsequent generations of people could still relate to our stuff. And it wasn't too put into a certain era or genre. I I mean, it's definitely a certain time and place in the way it was recorded or whatever, but something about it. I I like to believe was timeless and really I had nothing to do with our relevance. And, um, and when I started hustling and started getting the website and doing the, the record label, I didn't uh, you know I knew that sure we could make money at these things if we sell our own shirts we're certainly going to make more money than if I give it to somebody else and make a, a royalty and I knew that if I put out my our records on my one man label I knew that we would probably still make about as much money selling less records now that we have a bigger cut of that pie so I wasn't I wasn't ignorant to these things, but really at the core of it was going back to that feeling of this is important. I want my stuff available in a tangible, tangible format that I like best. And I want it to always be in print and I want it to always be available. And the only way to do that is to have it in your control to have it in your basement on your label and no one could take that away from you. And the last piece of that puzzle was dear you. And the best I could do was to license it for five years and to ironically pay the label. It's <laughs> so messed up. Yeah. <laughs> Like a $10,000 advance. <laughs> get and get you then to pay put it, it out. La- then They then weren't it- even going to do anything. Right. It was just languishing. It was not repressed. It was just languishing in their archive, and they weren't doing shit ab- about it. So I was like, all right. Well, if I can't buy it back from these people outright, the least I could do is to make it available on my own label for five years or whatever, and then who knows what will happen after that. Anyway, so that's that one record is the only... Missing piece of of that puzzle, and it. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I sound like a fucking crazy person, like an OCD. Any like <laughs> any other discussions with them about it. I mean, I I hit them up all the time, and I'm like, I try to get people that I know in that industry to talk to someone on the inside, and they say it's just all you know it's going to go to their administration and they're going to say no, because they have a policy. They say things to me, I, I get messages back that say things like, we're not in the business of selling back catalog. We're in the business of, you know, owning, Monetizing. owning content. And now that most of that money coming in is via streaming. These companies have nothing to do, but get it digitized, put it in the place and just collect checks. You yeah, know? the
0: more you get out there, yeah. the more market share. Yeah, more money. Yeah, they're
1: just volume. Yeah. Uh, that said, I did hear from a guy at Universal who is really excited about repressing "Dear You" on blue vinyl and making it really cool and special, and doing a push for it. So, and that's and that's only ha- that's only happening because we got back together and and are selling tickets. You know. But that's cool. Yeah. That's all right. Whatever.
0: So in 2007, the documentary stuff started, right? The guys reached out to you and said, let's get this going. The guys did the Minion stuff.
1: Yeah. And they were, yes. And it took them a long time to finally get a cut because sadly, Keith passed. Oh, um, right, right, right. He got... um, I think it was a brain tumor or something something but he basically you know sort of got struck by lightning and 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 was taken from us far too soon um but but he but that said he was also you know it took however many years because he was really doing it as a labor of love he was doing it on his off time when he wasn't raising his children and working a job and living his own life. Mm-hmm. And and similarly, uh, Tim Irwin, who was shooting it and directing it, he, that guy's got a real job. He's got, you know, he shoots skate and snowboard stuff and is flying all over the world constantly.
0: This is just out of love. And so, again, yeah, yeah. it's going to take a minute.
1: So it was, yeah, it was just sort of catcher. And going through all the, yeah. the footage and stuff. It was catch as catch can. They got, I just sent them every single thing I had. I took a picture of every... Poster that was silkscreened, and I sent them flyers and I sent them stuff from my own photographs, like my archives. Um, yeah, and just I, I might have even given them journals and stuff, like, or pieces of, of writing, you know. I just gave them everything, and then it took them a, a really long time to get it all together. And then when Keith passed, um, that's when Dan got in the picture, Dan from Promise Ring. Um, and he started. He took he, he took on a huge role, sort of getting a a really cohesive cut of the film, and just doing all of the sh- shit work that you have to do, licensing the song, whatever he had to do. Yeah, all that stuff is crazy. Yeah, it's totally nuts. Um, and then so it finally came out. Like I think it was like more than ten years since we had began. Wow. I mean, what I loved begun, about it is it begun or began since we had begun started start let's just go with started i usually
0: do that when i'm writing if i can't I just change the word i'm like fuck i can't figure out the right tense i'm Since horrible at tense i mean i think what's great about the doc in which i liked is that it's not a lot of talking heads there's yes it's you know Jessica's in there you guys are in it but it's not like every situation needs to have the Ken Burns pan and someone describing it. No, you have the video, you have the flyer, you oh, have the Oh, it's one of
1: my favorite things about it is how collaged it is because there's all those different formats. I think they you there's like every format there is Super 8, VHS, Betamax, fucking High eight,
0: but like talking about HD, the HD,
1: even the Talking head stuff. It took so long to make this movie. Oh, it went by, from SD to HD, yes, right? Yes,
0: that's crazy. So you see
1: almost every single format of film, and that's part of this story, this long arc. You just you can almost play it without sound and go like, oh shit, this is a long history that we're looking at right here. Yeah, from the eighties. So, so I love that. I love seeing. The aspect change oh right right right
0: and then you know getting really grainy yeah
1: all of a sudden it's horrible and then there's bars on the right and left because it's almost it's like a four four, three. three yeah it's cool i think that's one of the most charming things about the movie but that's what it that's why
0: it connected when i watched it i'm like oh my god adam had all this shit this is amazing and i think that's what made it that's again if it was just talking heads and you had a couple flyers and maybe one video you would have shown the same video from the same shot whatever the i've seen those docs they only have one video and they keep going to it and throughout the whole thing and it just how do you tell that you can't tell your band's story if you just have that and i think the the um uh, it's also people sometimes don't know. You know, they don't write down what's on
1: it, or they don't write things. Um, I can't speak to like my motivation. I just, I it was something I was kind of compelled to do. I love it. I don't. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. I didn't know exactly the end game. I just thought maybe one day something will, will it'll yeah. be cool to have this stuff, either for myself or for my kids or. For people that cared about our band um, When you had the video
0: store hmm. In San Francisco yeah, Was that kind of the same thing Of there's all these movies And things that people might not have known Or um, this is a way to The share. reason why
1: we stuck around for 21 years or whatever You had the shop for 21 years From 97 I just sold it That was a couple years ago right I original. think, I, like, last year. Oh, or so. wow. Um, wow, okay, that's funny. I never thought to tie these things in. But here we go. I knew that we were... The reason why we lasted so long, even though we started getting... We started losing people to... I think at first it was, like, probably um, cable TV and then like stream, then Netflix and streaming services on demand... Um, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the reason why we were one of the last video stores standing is because we looked at our store not like a video store but like a library. So we wanted to have and we didn't, but we, wa- our, we strove we wanted to be like a library of great films and have all the stuff that you can't find on all those other places in all those other places. I mean, my other wish for our video store was that I wanted it to be like a cool place for you know people I knew that were artists and musicians and students. I wanted to them to have a place that they could work and then go off and do their thing and then come back to it with without you know. I wanted it to be that like a cool place for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and but besides that, we yeah we wanted to you know we weren't just pimping the newest whatever movie, big blockbuster, um, we wanted to have, you know, whatever, Chulas Fronteras, or like, you know, deep tracks shit, stuff, you know, from, you know, we had a great archive of foreign films, so we had, we had something there for everybody, it was like a cult film, you know, we had everything listed by director, we had, Um, a huge Hong Kong section we had a great documentary section Um, we had independent films truly independent films we had a section of films that were only available on VHS like that just didn't make the jump to digital so we wanted to be an an archive an archive and I never (laughs) you never thought thought about
0: that I literally when I, I I said oh my god he's doing it again yeah I mean, I think that's again the library the fuck to have. What is wrong with me? No, I having the what the having a documentary section, having those places for people to learn. I think it's it's. I think of it like the YouTube channel. People treat YouTube channels are just official content, and I think of that as the blockbuster movies. Like we're right. just gonna go there, and I'm not saying they have blockbuster movies, but as a band, you're
1: just gonna have the official
0: videos. But no, I wanna. I want to see that other world. I want to see what right. that guy watched. And then each no, of the... We,
1: we were really... It was really fine-tuned. But you
0: could it. really learn about a, an art, like a, a director's influences, and then you could kind of... Just like you go down with bands, you could do the yes. same thing at that store. Right. Hey, I watched this on this documentary. What else did he do? Oh, well, his other buddy did. And then yeah. you just go.
1: Yeah. It was... Yeah, I mean, we had a section... It, within the comedy section, we had, like, Mel Brooks, Albert Brooks. We had a section called, like, Reagan-era teen exploitation. It was really <laughs> chopped up in there. It was, it was rad. Um, you know, they come in and they go, like... Towards the end, they come in and they go, like, really, a video store? Like... People would get towards the end of the video store. People would come in and take a picture of the video store rather than do a lap and rent a movie or buy something. They would come in and put well, it on their, a Instagram, on their Instagram because balls. look at this weird anomaly. What is this, you know, this palace of, of obsolete media? So I did, that wasn't lost on me that I was in two industries that really dealt in obsolete media as digital started happening. But I would say, in both cases, I would say, sure, go listen to us on YouTube with, you know, MP3 quality music. But as fucked up as my ears are, from playing drums for 40 years, even I can tell the difference between a vinyl record and an MP3. I can hear a difference between an MP3 and lossless digital. I didn't think I could, but I can. And the reason why I know that is because I did all that remastering for all these different formats. So if I can hear it, Anybody can hear it. But people don't know any better.
0: No, they've got the Apple They don't know any AirPods, better. Whatever is free whatever,
1: yep. is free, whatever is free, convenient. And that's okay, because not everybody has the money for yeah. a fucking record collection and a turntable. And that's cool. I'm glad. I'm In that way, I'm a populist. I want everyone to be able to hear us. But if you really want the real, if you really get into it, if you really like it enough, if you love it, there's there's other ways of of um of hearing that stuff similarly with with film you know like um you know when when everything went to dvd not everything got bumped over we lost things in that transition we lost in that in that move to digital we lost a bunch of stuff an analog that I that I held on to necessarily because I knew someone was going to love it enough at some point to want to see it, and if that meant they had to, you know, go to the thrift store and go buy a a VHS yeah. player, that's how they're going to have to watch it. Or I think the digitizing
0: of it too. I uh, people have sent me VHS tapes throughout the years, and I've digitized them because yeah. I want to make sure that. If that tape fails or the tape breaks, we've got another yeah. copy, and that's the best quality that I can do it from, and is high and then that's saved in a server and but again, at some point someone might want to look at that, and I think from the movie side like they lose they've they're losing stuff from the old old era every day they go and open up a case and it's broken
1: yep yeah. And even when they go to digital, it's like when they first went to DVDs, not all those transfers were great. Oh my God. Not all so of them bad. were, a lot of them were fucking horrible. And you're missing shit. And the, the color is weird. Or they're chopping shit up. Um, you know, I, I would see things, I would see DVDs that were supposed to be letterboxed. And they weren't. They were 4 or 3 and they were chopped up wow. top to bottom. And it was like, it looked worse than the video cassette that I had. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, Because I'm just saying that without really thinking it through. No, I know what you mean. Anyway, so, so, you know, when I went to Capitol Records and fucking absconded with the Beatles catalog in a really cool little uh, box set of um, CDs, those weren't great. Those weren't great sounding... Because the technology has since gotten so much better that you can get a much better approximation. Every year you can get an even better approximation of the analog. But they're just chasing that analog. They're chasing that analog sound. You know what I mean? So it's ironic that, you know... They're just making us buy the same shit over and over. Oh, totally! But it's interesting. But really, if you just have your original record, that's probably going to be the coolest thing anyway. And it might it might have some pops and skips in it, but the warmness of it—it's going to be rad. It's going to be the raddest thing, of of hearing it. That's cool. Anyway, um, but yeah, the video, uh, yeah, uh, the video store was definitely my other, (laughs) uh, archivist. Yeah, kind of like and uh, yeah, just obsolete media place
0: are you still doing it today are you still documenting are you still writing stuff down on these when the with the reunion and well all the shows? kind of
1: i mean now that we uh, it was great to bring we we didn't um bring her with on this trip but our friend chrissy piper is a great why do i know that name because she's got books out and she's shot every band That's that you have ever seen um <laughs> she's like yeah she's like one of those famous kind of punk rock photographers um she lives in Los Angeles so she we brought her out um to just archive everything i was just like shoot everything shoot us at lunch it's shoot us at practice just shoot everything and so at the end of these little trips that we take she just sends me all of the pictures she's like here it is That's awesome. yeah i know it's rad. and they're and they're beautiful too cuz she she i don't know what it is about her but she's she has that thing, that decisive moment thing, where she just knows when to push her, the button. Wow. And not every, not everybody knows that shit. She's really busy right now though, because she's a, she's like a a BMX. Um, she's ranked number six in her oh wow in her age uh, division in in BMX riding. So she's busy. Like a she, she's a total shredder. <laughs> so Which is int- not with us on this yeah. on this one, but but like I said. Kind of Everyone's But you're got-
0: conscious of it to do that I think some artists are Conscious to bring someone on the road Give us that stuff But it's, it's I think everybody's just I, I say they think well, about Fridays Well I consider Fridays. this
1: I consider this a, in a way That as well, well
0: the, I, I tell the artist that I go Your interview today As a baby artist Brand new with me At my work When I'm doing a podcast with them and this is my day job. I tell them this is a different conversation than 2 years from now when maybe you just sold out, you know, Irving Plaza, right? And you're talking to me For sure. even though it's your same voice, but it's like you're going to have that it's going to be different. And I think we have to get that moment cuz your interviews when you were, you know, a kid, yeah. Are fun to look back on, because that totally. was in that moment. But you can't do that later. Right, right. Oh, when I was 16.
1: Right. No, you're well, an that, idiot.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny, too, because like the documentary is us at a certain time of our life. And because it took 10 years to make that documentary, by the time it came out, all three of us are different people completely, have different perspective on the, yeah, the band's history those our sentimentality is different about it it's like a totally different thing so it's when i watch i can almost watch that movie objectively because it's interesting that i'm watching someone who feels different about it than i do now it's a trip it's that's
0: that moment you were 10 years ago in the moment right that's amazing
1: yeah it's a it's a it's a real trip and I and You
0: can't get that again. That's what I keep telling people. You got to do it now. Right. It's we're breathing it. Right. Just like you right. having Chrissy with you like I tell people all the time about photos like what's more exciting? A live shot, the press photo or you guys eating dinner?
1: To us, I know what that answer the eating to that dinner dinner is. The dinner one yeah. is
0: because Blake's you know a certain way or looking at you a thi- and you can start to think about, you know, stories or yeah. think about what's happening in that moment. That's exciting.
1: Totally. Yeah, and it's it's great too because I you know, I get my family shows up to these things and our friends from way back in the day. And um yeah, it's rad it's rad to have that. I I wish I wrote I wish I wrote more. I I keep notes on my phone. Um but part of me deliberately uh, for these reunion shows I definitely was like, try to be in the moment. Try not to go crazy because there is so much documentation these days. Try not to be neurotic about getting it all down. Really try to breathe and try to be in the moment and to really enjoy it without fretting over getting it all down someone's gonna get it down someone don't worry about it someone's gonna get the don't you don't have to write it all down you're gonna have all the emails that told you where you went and you know your tour itinerary yeah in this day and age they might someone might write about it and then you might do a podcast so i'm like i'm i'm letting back a little bit of the reins just to try to be more in the moment because i you know i'm a I could be, you know, I can get I'm sort of nostalgic and sentimental and and that's, you know, that's not always great, you know. Yeah. Like, that could be that could be that could be wear on your heart too, you know what I mean? Just so try to be right in the moment. You know, it, it, what is what do they say like um anxiety is looking forward and depression is looking backwards. So try to be somewhere right in, in the sweet spot there. <laughs>
0: I love that. <laughs> so,
1: you know, that's where I'm trying to, to be right now, but it's been great because yeah, having someone like Chrissy there and, and just having all of our you don't people have to worry. around, it's going to get there. Someone's going to get a picture of me and my kid hanging out backstage yeah. and that's going to be my favorite thing. Or like doing the set list with my daughter and you know, whatever. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. Yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on the connection to the, to the genre emo? And I'll preface this by, I never thought that, and a lot of the emo bands liked you, and everyone's told me otherwise. That it, I just never felt that. I never thought that there was a connection. What? To the word emo. The band, Jawbreaker.
1: Oh, us? I don't, I'm not sure they were really... I don't think it was widely described as emo back when we were an active band it might looking, have been they might have started saying it a little bit but i was but it,
0: looking at reviews like i looked up maximum rock like wasn't they didn't
1: meant it said like punk it said rock it said they didn't even call us pop or, punk really alternative right wasn't that the i guess i don't remember i don't i, I remember when the the question when we were active we would get would, would was are you a hardcore do you consider yourself a hardcore band or a punk rock band <laughs> And we kind of would have to be like, well, I think we're kind of more like a punk rock band because when I think of a hardcore band, I think of you're playing like 200 beats a minute plus, and you're, you know, you're blistering, and you know, I like a lot of that stuff, but uh, you know, we were slower than that, and but we weren't like writing in like rock kind of blues based. Music, So I don't know. I guess we were... Like, so then later you feel like that word got attached to it or people had thought... People would ask, like, what kind of band are you in? I go, we're just a three-piece punk band. Yeah, You know, it's bass, guitars, and drums. When did you start seeing, hearing Emo? Later. Later. After we were gone. And then they'd say things like that we were like the godfathers of Emo or whatever. And not, and not being really that familiar with Emo in after we like I didn't really listen to a lot of that stuff um even in the late 90s I mean I heard some of it I was just talking about this I, I heard some of it on the radio but like I didn't really I didn't understand it and the, some of it I really the stuff I did hear I didn't love it I didn't love all Wait, of if it. it was on the radio it was so different. some of it was I thought was great what they were calling even some of it I, I could didn't care so like the
0: mid-2000s and you were hearing it on the radio
1: yeah yeah um, or I guess they, they would have said that a lot of Blake's label mates when he was playing in Jets would. would have oh, right that for J Tree, yeah. Um, but I didn't really know a lot of those bands. Like I, I knew his band, I, and I love Jets, but that's interesting. So yeah, I,
0: I, I never thought it. I was like, wait, there's a punk band. Yeah, I, and I also thought it's regional too because certain people. Had regional, you know, attacks or they certain bands in certain regions would connect a different right.
1: way. I remember thinking back and the, when they started saying it and they started kind of like giving us the credit or blame for emo, I remember thinking, like, well, really? I mean, we were kind of like, you know, like rights of spring were before us and that's really early or yeah. Um, embrace, yeah, right, or like sunny day. Or that kind of stuff. I I thought that that really was... Now it sounds like I'm saying that they should take the credit or blame for emo and both of those groups would say absolutely We we have nothing to do with that
0: Well, that's what's funny about the genre and why the website and all this stuff has been going on It's 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 marginalized in press It's joked on bands don't want to be attached to it right
1: unless, well now. It's like now. It's a now it's Unless sort of they're
0: a, making a fuckload of money right
1: now. It's like a punchline, right? It's a punchline um in the in the same way that pop punk or skate punk or whatever was a punchline, everything becomes a punchline when you get into these like these names. I was never more happy than when we started ending up in just the regular old alphabetized rock section <laughs> of of a record store. Those few that, that fucking still exist. Those five hey guys, record we're stores. And
0: Jay on just the rock.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> Jawbox is right before us. <laughs> Jay Church. I was fucking stoked. Is right there. Jawbox after. Yeah. I know. was stoked when I. <laughs> when that started happening and they didn't we're just like really I mean do they I don't even know if you go into a record store I was actually I love you if you own a record store out there but like do they do that? Do they have like an emo section? Some do. Really? Wow. It would I guess they might put us there. There's some it's just funny. I never I was like I don't care. You know what? Rock. Just spell my name, right? That's all. That's all exactly. I care about. Exactly. I don't I don't really just care. Just spell your last name, if right? If it works for you, if you want to call us an emo man, fine. I like that answer. That's fine. I, like that I don't answer. care. I'm not going to I'm not embarrassed, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the thing so many I just people want to go over to other play. I when Dear Year came out, I, I remember like I can't remember if it was Source or one of one of those like hip hop magazines had a section that was like the best non hip hop record of of 1995, and we made that list. No shit. And I was so stoked just to be in a just in, in a wider in, in a yeah. wider net, you know, just out there. You know, we're just a band. We're just we're doing the everyone's doing the same thing. Yeah. We're all just telling oh, I stories I fucking love that Aren't we We're all just telling stories Some so docu- you could shit on some just, some
0: just document it better than others Right That's right But That's then who I will in. be remembered And I think about this Is that Emo bands like Dan The Promise Ring He's got stuff in his basement I want to make sure That they're doing stuff But the bands that were on Mainstream media On the radio Have more things online And more things out there right. That will continue that Word meaning because it was popular. If you ask ten people in Times Square what emo, is they're going to say right. those bands you heard on the radio, not Promise Ring, not Right to Spring, and they. Sh- but because they kind of hit that apex, yeah, and that goes back to the band. You need to want to save and document, right? And I think that's what you know. I'm not saying emo related, but just that helped, yeah. Continue the
1: message. I mean, you should give a shit enough. In your, if you're in a band, right? If you're in in your band, I I said this before. You, you better your band best fucking be your favorite band, or otherwise, what are you doing there? You know, you better love this thing, Or, or what? Or what are you here for? What are you in it for? You know what I mean? You're not for real. Um. Yeah, yeah, whatever. The names, just call it whatever the the hell you want it. But I I know, I mean, I don't feel like a punchline. So go fuck yourself if you think I'm a punchline.
0: It's just an easy thing that people, because they're misunderstanding of it or they think it's one thing and they just crack a joke. And
1: it's just, that's been my whole... There's great, I mean, there's great music in any kind of whatever genre. I just don't think there's another genre that gets shit on like that. Across the board, sure. Well, I mean, it, a lot of mu- I mean, you know, ninety percent of anything is going to be shit, and you really, you know, that's what's so fun about sifting through those those sections at the yeah. at the thrift stores, finding and stuff. something. Yeah, um, maybe I shouldn't say ninety. That sounds. That's a little bit. No, it's, it's hard that's hard to a find little bit stuff. C- that's a little bit cynical, <laughs> but there's great stuff everywhere. You know, what yeah, I, mean? I just
0: think the open mind, like not thinking that. My thing's it. Like, there's well, a history like whole, before. Like this, right. There's a history before, and there's a history after. You will not be cool soon. I'm not cool. Right. So I ask kids that are younger than me, what's happening? Or where's the Everything comes show? back around, yeah. though. Like, oh, it, exactly. what's a
1: punchline now might come back around in a few years when just like style changes. You're right it'll come back around and people will appreciate it again and go like, you know what? That's not a guilty pleasure for me anymore. I like that pop punk band. Yeah, yeah. I like that emo band. I like that, you know, silly whatever. Metal band or yeah. metal thing, yeah. Just, we see it happen all the time. It's all, it's totally, it just totally cyclical and then everything comes around. And, and if, you know, who gives a shit if it's not popular? It's okay. Yeah. You know? I never had that thing. I never felt guilty. I when me and Blake came up in high school, you know, we were in Los Angeles in the early eighties and we got to see a lot of cool stuff come through. But you know, we didn't we weren't like fucking too we weren't like really hardline about what we were listening to, like I can't listen to that. Yeah. We were listening to fucking Led Zeppelin in the same on the same mixtape as Black Flag and and the Minutemen and and or think about SST records. Like, oh, exactly. Like, remember that model when it was just like a just a free for all, and it had nothing to do with but what if you kind saw of SST, you were like, "It's got to be good." You were like, "It's it's going to be cool." It's Husker. It's the Meat Puppets, the Minutemen, Black Flag. Like, could you think of? I know five, four, yeah, four, four, different, like, different. <laughs> yeah. It's very cool. So yeah. I and you know and like my introduction to to punk rock happened at the same time that. Hip hop music, or what we used to call rap music, I think, like mm-hmm. when it first came out, like the same year that I got the, you know, the Clash and the Ramones and the Pistols record, like Sugar Hill Gang and 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 Grandmaster Flash were blowing up my radio, and I was equally as stoked on, on all, all that, of yeah. that stuff and i had my father's record collection my dad had a great record collection my dad was a david bowie fan no shit yeah so i had like access and he had all the stones and the beatles wow and the who and and uh you know, nilson records and whatever you know what i mean and and miles davis and, and like so to me it's like it's just me i i, I was P.S. I was, you know, I, I played music before I listened to punk, right? Like, I'm not aii I'm not a, like a classically trained, but I played before I became, was like into, into that kind, kind of music. Stuff, yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I'd like to think I had an open, a more open mind. And I like to think that people now with access to the internet and every single thing at your fingertips are going to be more open to... The good stuff. Yeah. Right. I remember when uh, Bleach came out, um, we listened to that. Um, But actually, before Bleach came out, I think I had the Sliver... Love Buzz,
0: Sliver 7-inch? Yeah.
1: Um, And we used to listen... I remember the very first time I heard that, I was working at Nana Warehouse in Santa Monica... Nana was like a, the punk What's rock that? it's Nana was a punk rock store in Santa Monica where everyone went and got their Doc Martens and their studded where bracelet. was it on like Main Street it was on was it it was Broadway near Pete the Barber the punk rock barber yeah okay. right near the right near the old mall which is the first shot of um of Fast Times at Ridgemont High the very opening shot if you just walked Two blocks to the right, that's Nana. That's where Nana was. So they had a warehouse. And they were the only company in the United States that imported Doc Martin shoes, boots. No shit. And they had creepers and monkey boots and shit. So any punk rock store in America was getting their shit from Nana Warehouse in Santa Monica. Wow. So So we, you know, everyone that worked there was like in a band or was like like me, I worked with D from L7 and um, a couple, you know, JT and, and Cooksey, a couple of like Powell skaters worked there. And my bandmate, uh, Jason from Tri-State Killsbury and, and another guy that worked there was uh, Kirk who played the violin on something in the way on Nevermind. So Kirk was the person that, that introduced us to Nirvana's music. Wow! Because he and L in and L seven were all pals. So I remember the very first time I heard um, Sliver. Right? Is that the one? I'm I think about? so. I wish I had the internet. i go look it up. Um, but I, I remember hearing it at the warehouse because we just blast wow. music at the warehouse while we we're unloading we're these up. trucks. What a great job, by the way. It was so fun. It was great. We had a, Where, we had a pra- I was in college. Like we had a practice space in the warehouse. My uh, Nancy and Paul, the owners, are like the fucking coolest people. They knew my sister. I knew them when I was a little kid. Wow. Just like the coolest job. Like it was. They, they and did,
0: what was your? What was the, it? Was just working. You were. I was a warehouse worker. Just warehouse worker. Yeah.
1: And they, you know, they had they did profit sharing and they let us fucking look blast music and like drink beer. It was unbelievable. It was a great job. Um, and Pam Moore and uh, KXLU DJ worked there. Everyone was like in doing something other than being. So it felt alive for sure. Yeah, and so we got introduced to a lot of cool stuff and, and turned each other onto cool stuff, you know?
0: That's amazing. Yeah, it's like that. I mean, the, the, the kid coming into your work and saying, hey, I checked this out. It's really cool. I'm going to oh play my God. it. And then the kid that's not paying attention comes up, hey, what was that? And then...
1: So Kirk, Kirk plays us that song. That must have been fucking nice. And, and I remember, like, stopping what I was doing and, go, and like, walking into the office where he worked. And I was like, what's that? And he was like, oh, it's these guys. And and I think he was just maybe even working... Maybe it was close to when he was working on playing... Um, did I say violin? It's cello. cello. He, did, he, he did cello on something in the way. Um, and I think they would already tu- they had already toured with L7, so D know, knew those guys. And they had already... Like our friend John, the guy that does our merch, was working at Rhino Records, so he had booked them to play an in-store rhino records in westwood so people around us knew about those guys um but kirk says oh you sh- tonight they're playing at um jabber Jaw on pico which was like a Hello, great, a like great place to play yeah shows while they were recording never mind so me and blake blake worked at the at the at the warehouse too for a while um so we got to go to that secret show that, that kind of storied, yeah, job held by like two hundred people or something, and like Iggy Pop showed up and Courtney Love was there screaming at people or something. I, <laughs> I can't remember the stories, but <laughs> it was like some. So clue cool, you went funny, yeah. We went and saw him, and that was the first time I'd seen him, and and we got to see him at Jabberjob. What did you from, f-
0: like? Were you like that's was, gonna that's that that was a cool show? I'll I'll see you tomorrow, Blake. Or was it holy shit? That was insane.
1: We on the way out. I remember we both said that one that sounds like the Pixies, that one with like the Pixies riff at the beginning. I'll bet you that's going to be huge. Wow. So I feel like we had that. We had that one peg. You had some like Teen Spirit single. Peg. We did for sure. Now I remember saying that out loud with Blake. Um, wow. To Blake. Or maybe he said it, but we both agreed. We were both like, "Oh yeah, that's the one. That's definitely wow. That's the one. Um, that's amazing. That's my little Nirvana story, I guess." I love. But like that. we weren't, even though we were sort of in the same wheelhouse, those guys, even at that point, to us were rock stars. They had a record out. Bleach was already out. Yeah, Sub Pop. Those guys already had like a single of the month at Sub Pop. Those guys are rock stars. You know what I mean? We <laughs> single felt like, of the month at Sub Pop. We felt like we star. were nowhere. They were in a different world than we were. We were, you know, we were some other thing. So when we got asked to go on tour with them, we were, like, over the moon because we'd already been fans. We felt that was very validating. Those guys couldn't have been cooler. Like, it was... What year was that? In utero. Oh, in utero, right. Okay, 94. No, I think it was 93. Oh, 93, 93. I think it was 93. And we were playing places that were bigger than anywhere we'd ever fucking seen. It was insane. Like, we were playing it big sheds and hockey arenas and like you know like it was nuts um and kurt was super you know he's great super sweet asked us like are you gonna play bivouac tonight like he knew the songs that's fucking rad and he was sitting right (laughs) he was sitting on the side stage when we walked off after our first show together in albuquerque and just kind of giving us like the thumbs up saying like yeah you totally went over don't worry about it you know wow it's awesome it was yeah. It was it was really cool. Um, but yeah, that's for, beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. And that's like it was ironically that was also like right or not ironically that was kind of like when we started taking shit from the community about like the, the big, being sellouts and oh you went on tour with the big corporate band we're that's like, crazy. We're like yeah you're goddamn right. We went on tour and with now the it's band. like.
0: Only if it's almost like the timing part again. Like if that had happened five years later,
1: no one would have said a word. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have cared. They, they, people care. They, they were very protective of their scene. And I'm, you know, as as good as it feels not to, you know, be burdened by that. Um, nowadays, uh, I, I still respect that were you know that's where we came from and people yeah. had fucking rules and it's like they stuck by them and they you know they got mad if you if you fucked around yeah and i get i get it and i thought it was cool to come from such a principled scene for sure and we just you know we left it but we still thought we'd take some Yours of You were part us. like
0: you leaving it you're still like you could i could tell with kurt that he had was into punk rock and like you could just yeah. tell that it, like shows, like the, yeah. you'd watch live shows, like just it. He didn't start listening to, or not start. He could have, but he got the punk scene.
1: Oh, for and sure. Understood,
0: and you could see. Did it you watch channeling. the
1: doc? Did you watch that documentary? The Which one? one? That, the one that Brett Morgan made montage of. Yes. The heck? What did you make of that? I liked it. it. It kind of looked like he felt burdened and 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 put upon by his fame to me it just looked like he was like not into it like it wasn't supposed to get that big that fast yeah he and and the you know the poor guy suffered yeah from by that um
0: yeah i mean i read i mean oh god i think i've read every book or whatever azarad's book or the other one the um the guy from the uk
1: his it's just it's, and i don't like, claim any I, I have no proximity to, th- yeah, I yeah. mean, we toured with the Foo Fighters a couple of times and those guys couldn't have been nicer, but you know, I don't know those guys personally, but still, do you know, that the, was my impression of being yeah. around them for the brief time that we were there. Yeah, that, I get it. That he, that he just didn't seem, he just seemed like he was in it for the right reasons, which was like, this is my outlet. This is my art and take it or leave it. But everyone took it and that might've weighed heavily on that guy. That's, that was my impression.
0: I think that's really well said. Yeah, yeah, I love that because it's the I am making this art, I get to say what I want and then there's all these people wanting to take and take and yeah. seem to be off of what
1: the message, yeah. It's interesting. Well, it's also it's a pretty it's a pretty common narrative in a lot of art too of, of when that happens, you know. It gets hot and everybody wants it. Yeah, and then you and, and then you change or you don't want to change and but so But then people want People just want Right an heart X record sick. Yeah and you're heart sick
0: About it And It sucks Give me another Smells like teen spirit Give me another Come yeah, as you are
1: Totally It's like Or give me thing? another Dear you Yeah it's a trope Right It's why we got signed It's like give us another Green day dookie Give us another Never mind Well Try as we might Yeah <laughs> That might not happen Dude <laughs>
0: But then, years later, you can have a doc, you can come back, and...
1: Yeah, and it, does, you, it feels good. It feels good that people appreciate it. Uh, you know, we we joke and shit, like, like Blake will say funny things, like, where the fuck were you people when we needed you? There's too much, uh, some of those spots have too much power, maybe. But then something... But always, that's proven wrong because there'll be some anomaly that comes out of nowhere. Some Someone will put a song out on fucking YouTube and just it explodes You're right. in there, you know? Then it didn't even need it. Didn't yeah, even need that. It's, just, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Or and then the, was,
0: the public decided not somebody else. Right, said.
1: Or, else there, or else there's blowback against Pitchfork for being too specific yeah. with their tastes or something. And then a new group of people, again... That's that's a pretty big site, and I know a lot of people go through and they change, they move from there, and the editor is their one, and then they go over to work at MTV or or yeah. whatever it is, whatever.
0: Yeah, everybody's moving around.
1: Yeah, everyone's kind like of, the labels, totally. <laughs> so maybe the new reviewer, when when twenty four hour revenge therapy comes out, he's like, actually, it's fucking awesome. I didn't hate that, and then gives it a, a good review. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> Quickly, I was going to tell you when um, when they started making the movie, uh, I have all of our, our two-inch analog master tapes. And I also have the quarter-inch mixed-down reels that have been edited that are then going to become records or tapes or whatever, mm-hmm. CDs. So I have all that stuff, except for I don't have the Dear You masters. I don't have those masters. And when... They started to um, put the movie together. I wanted to get... We have instrumental mixes of all the Dear You songs. They do that in case you're going to play on television or something and you could just mine. So they have all of the mixes, but without vocals. Um, So I thought it might be fun to use some of that music in the movie. And I was like, I don't have the master's. And I asked Keith and Tim, who were making the documentary, can you go and find those masters for me? So they get a hold of Universal. And apparently, there's like a giant mountain in... Iron Mountain. Colorado. Is it in Colorado? Uh, it's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, where all of the fucking analog tapes go like it's a bunker. No, like it's armed some, guards. Like it's post-apocalyptic. Yes. Like that's where... Like when you're hiding from the zombies, that's where where you're going to go. Our tapes, your tapes are safe if there's a zombie apocalypse. Our tapes are in that place. And I was like, holy shit, really? And they said, yeah. And and we had to sign some forms and they got the tapes. They go get it. They digitized them for us. And they sent me back a hard drive. I don't have the analog stems of whatever you call them for dear you but i have them digitally on a hard drive along with all of the instrumental mixdowns um and it was just that that i that idea of that archive in deep burrowed in the the base of some big mountain in pennsylvania was pretty intriguing to yeah. me now that's some serious fucking archiving right there like what are they hanging on to that for just in case of what, like it's safe from well, it's radiation like
0: the, Well it's the same thing in it, Finland? Who's the one that has all the seeds? There's a Scandinavian country yes. That yes. has all the
1: seeds You're right You're right Just in case Just in case Right We fuck up So when the sea levels rise And global warming has ruined this planet If millions of years from now You know Somehow the human race fights back They're going to find Dear You. They can enjoy.
0: (laughs) And they're going to be like, there's this great doc sitting right next door to this. This is cool. It's on a DVD. We don't have that anymore. We're going to have to transfer it to our... Brain, like there's gonna does be. That some mean, does that mean
1: that they also in that bunker do you think that they have all the machines that are gonna play those things? Yes, they have to, right? Yes, they have to have every single kind of format, probably. Yes,
0: Warner has that too. Per, like, I've seen it all. Like, there's, a, there's, the, there's rooms and there's experts that they do other, but there's literally the, the one for the, the two inch tape there's the one for the older one and it's all connected to computers and cause they're constantly digitizing.
1: If you're ever in LA, that's so important. That's how important it is for them to be selling these things is that they're protecting them with that kind of security yeah. or just, but I think they're also respecting the artists. Like that's the, this is it, right? That's, what they put down, that's important We have to protect it That's cool when we, when we visited Warner's When we were thinking about signing We went and had a meeting with, with um, Lenny Warner, And um, it was really cool and In LA? Yeah On that lot um, He had a really cool uh, stack of records And it was every record, I think That he had put out, That Warner had put out Since he like, started Since he was there so it was just like wow. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, <laughs> hundreds of records it was, I was I just kept on staring at it the whole time <laughs> He's like, well what do you guys want to do with your, you know, just kind of staring at it like,
0: like, I want your records
1: <laughs> yeah. It's pretty rad Sometimes when I'm driving
0: On the road at night I see the two headlights coming toward me Fast, I just suddenly suddenly turn on and head on The sound of shattering glass. Flames
1: rising out of the flowing gas. In